0: Hey, Tommy. How you doing, Tyler? Great. Thanks for coming on. This is, this is good because there's been so much camera news lately. So I was like, okay, I'll invite the guy on whose brand is to say, don't buy cameras, buy lights instead. Um, <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to force you to talk about some camera announcements today. I know you're excited.
1: Okay, yeah, I am a little excited about some cameras. We'll
0: we'll find time for lights too. I mean, there's there's, there's plenty of time here. But first, let's talk about about you for a second, because uh, I mean, we're just meeting for the first time now too, and uh, you know, I'm sure some segment of the audience is as well uh, if they haven't encountered your YouTube before. But what? Wh- how did you get into YouTube? Your channels, I mean, it's very focused on lighting, audio, and in a good way, in like the good technical way that I feel like I can really dig into your videos how did you get started with that? I was, um,
1: so I was, a am a programmer by trade, right? That's my day job. And I worked for some companies that had huge social properties and they would post a link on their, you know, social media properties and it would drive millions of, you know, people to whatever they were linking to at that time. And I was just the programmer there. So I didn't really own any of what was happening there, but I saw the power of social there. And then, uh, my wife was watching a YouTube video of, you know, some person, some vlogger had like a three minute time-lapse. She was like folding her laundry or something. It had like 50,000 views. And, uh, I was like, mm, I, I could probably do better than that. Uh, and so I decided to kind of just try and figure out how to make videos. I've always been interested in photography, but, uh, you know, so I took my Canon 6D and decided to just start making some videos. I wanted to review some tech and I was interested in a few other things and, uh, some science stuff. And I, I found out really quickly, um, that I should really focus down on a niche or well, not, not so much focus on a niche, but like in a specific part of a niche and, well, not yeah, th-
0: and, and niche within a niche, but <laughs> it, generally, I mean, that is helpful advice. Like it's, relatively common advice. And I think for good reason, because it allows you to like really build a specific audience. Like people know why they're there for you and they know what to expect. And that can be very, I mean, that can be very comforting just as a content consumer. When I go look at other people's stuff, it's like, I know this is the person I go to for X, Y, Z.
1: Right. And that was actually, um, one of the most challenging things of me getting started on YouTube was like the fourth video I made, I hadn't focused yet. And, uh, it was the day after Pokemon go came out and so
0: <laughs> nobody could focus then anyway. Yeah. We we're all very distracted. The, the well,
1: the problem with that was I'm, I'm a programmer and I know how to, you know, write code and do things. And so I hacked Pokemon go and I showed <laughs> the world how to do it. And that video, you know, went viral for me, you know, got half a million views. And I did a little series on it and that's how I got my first thousand or so subscribers. But I didn't want to do anything with that series after the fact I wanted to get back into like technology and, you know, learn more about filmmaking stuff. But no one would view any of my videos right when I got started uh, doing that because they were looking for, you know, how to hack your phone better or something. And that really kind of put a damper on my growth because every time I publish a video, you know, 1% of my subscribers would click on it and they would only watch it for a few seconds. And so my channel wouldn't grow. Um, and so I've since pruned, uh, you know, most of those videos off of my channel because, this that's not what I want to do. I want to do stuff with filmmaking and obviously lighting. And so that's, you know, for anyone that's listening to this, that wants to start something and grow, you should focus on something from the start.
0: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping I'll start focusing on something any day now, but because it, yeah. <laughs> it is good advice. I mean, it is challenging to jump around. And I think a lot of people see really big, successful vlog channels or lifestyle channels. And they're like, that's what I want to do. Like, that'd be great for me. But then you realize uh, it's very, it's much, much harder to build that audience. Like the people that are watching that, I mean, it, it, it can work and it can be bigger, but it's so much more challenging. It's more of a long shot. Um, you have a, more of a sort of a guarantee of views if you are one of only a few people covering a topic because there's a lot of people that are still interested in lights or V-mount batteries or, or whatever it is, you know? So uh, I, I totally think you're doing something good.
1: So the lights, um, so my neighbor was a producer and he made big commercials, their firm did the sound for inception. You know, he, he had experience and stuff. And, uh, so I asked him to watch one of my videos and give me some feedback. And this was only, you know, a couple of years ago, he said, you should buy some lights.
0: (laughs) And you took him very seriously. You're like, okay, I'll buy all the lights. Well,
1: First I was looking for <laughs> not re- <at> first. Well, <laughs> first I was looking for reviews on lights. And yeah. every YouTuber had a video about the aperture one twenty D. Mark, you know, not in the Mark Two at the time, it was just the 120 D. And uh I couldn't afford the 120 D yet. Um, so I was looking for alternatives and then I found the Godox, you know, brand and they have some really cheap affordable lights. And then I bought like a used aperture light a little bit later, and then I compared them. And then uh that's kind of it's kinda snowballed from there a little bit. <laughs> As far as uh, my might, collection well, growing, and I'm wondering <laughs> if this light is better than that light well which one's next, and then a couple of companies got in touch with me
0: we we'll, we'll dig deep into lights in the second half of all of this let's like okay. let's go light crazy because um I love lights too I mean a lot i, I think you're hundred percent right that people focus way too much on cameras lenses the, the you know the i don't know the thing you hold in your hand whereas um the surroundings can be so much more important you know lighting how you treat your room for sound um staging uh you know anyway we'll get into it but sure. the A7S3 was announced um and now we've got it to compare to the Canon R5 R6 um all these things are crazy i have and i've been saying we're spoiled for choice for a while now like already like a year ago i was saying this i'm like oh yeah we got a, we got tons of great cameras so many good cameras out there now what's, what comes after spoiled, like we're spoiled, rotten, you know, it's just, yeah. we have everything we could hope for. And I don't, I don't even know what to think about it. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed by the way, if anybody's watching the video version of this, my AC is broken. So I'm doing everything I can to keep my body temperature down. <laughs> Cause I walked in here and it was a, uh, I mean, it was like 33 Celsius, which is a lot. So well, what, do you, what do you got there? Is that a bottle of Febreze? This is a bottle. It's a bottle of water. I actually okay. just shot the commercial. I shot the commercial for these, uh, these water bottles. So again, a great reason to, to watch the video version of the podcast. Cause you can see what I'm talking about. And then, um, I don't know where do I post? I'm going to post it, uh, Instagram about the, the video that we produced for them in a few days, but it also, not only is it taste delicious, it also uh, cools your temperature down. <laughs> so it's really saving my life right now. <laughs> Um,
1: what camera did you see that commercial with?
0: The C200, uh, my, my my favorite camera that I've owned. Um, I know there are other favorite cameras out there that I could have if I if I did own them, but I, I really do like the C200. Um, before we go into the Sony, you've mentioned your your dream camera right now is the Canon C300 Mark II. Um, and I kind of share that with you. I'm a little bit split between that and C500, but what is it about the 300 Mark II that uh, attracts you to it?
1: It's uh, several thousand dollars cheaper than the C500. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. That's a good, uh, it's a great feature.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Let's see. I really like Canon's autofocus, and I know that, you know, the pros are like, pros don't use autofocus. But uh, I think that as a... That's not true anymore. Yeah. I think as a solo shooter, you know, someone who does everything by myself, it's incredibly helpful to have a reliable autofocus system. Um, currently I'm shooting on the GH five for almost everything. And that camera is terrible for autofocus. And so mm. my next camera purchase, uh, that I use for all my main a roll stuff, uh, I want it to have a great autofocus system, but also the options to do, you know, you have great dynamic range, uh, solid 4k i want to have the xlr inputs just uh I, i want it to be like kind of a one all and everything package that works and the c300 mark ii kind of fits that for me uh if i can scrounge together the money to buy it
0: yeah i've been i've really loved living in the cinema camera world for the past year or so i i didn't have a cine camera before that even though we would shoot video as for work like we shot video for clients for a few years previous to that all on mirrorless and um finally i stepped it up and i really i really like those extra features things that i feel like are hard to move away from and that would even be hard if i was using let's say this beautiful new a7s3 is um lack of internal nds that's such a struggle. I mean, I know that there are good variable NDs out there. There's actually a lot of good new choices like Polar Pro Moment, like a lot of really solid mid-priced ones that do a better job than than older variable NDs, but changing them drives me crazy. Like I really don't like, like once you have to change lenses and then you have to take it off and put it back on and the lens cap doesn't fit on the front of it. Um, it's just not that convenient. Uh, and it does get smudged sometimes. Like there have been times that I, you know, I, I put, put the next lens on, I realized there's a little fingerprint on there because I was trying to change things too fast. That just doesn't happen with the C200 or with cameras that have built-in ND. So that's huge. Um, XLR is just for ease of use. Um, but other things that are, are now starting to change are like infinite record times. So we're seeing that in, in what Sony's doing and anyway, I'm, well, I i do not know why, I don't know why I'm delaying the Sony so much. Let's just dive right into it. Well,
1: hang on. Um, V sure batteries, that's the last thing I want to talk about is I want, uh, I want the ability to use V batteries for everything because I have so many of them. Um, so, <laughs> switching between all the different little camera batteries and NPF batteries and all the different styles of batteries. I have a whole like section of my closet dedicated to just charging different styles of batteries. I just want to stick with V mounts.
0: I actually just got my first V mounts, uh, this month. Like I, so this, this is the first time I've been able to start using V mounts was using the internals, even for the C200 until recently, cause it doesn't have a, a mount on the back of it. Like, I don't know, I guess like black magics kind of have that built in or reds or alexas and the c300 i think you have to buy that extension unit to, yeah to, uh, yes,
1: yeah it's an extra year. Is that how it
0: works but obviously you you can rig these mirrorless cameras to to take a v-mount a lot of people do it with the black magics for example is that not feel like an option for you or
1: no it's um it becomes unwieldy i think and when you're trying to rig up a mirrorless camera to you know a small mirrorless to have all the features that a cinema camera has then it's just like Get a cinema camera.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I I've done that whole like rigging up of a, of a mirrorless, and I I really don't enjoy it. Compared to as you rig up a cinema camera, it feels like this perfect little box that still like the shape stays the same, and it just expands a little bit. Whereas a mirrorless starts feeling like a crazy spider that's about to fall apart, like the legs are going to come off because it's shooting out in every direction and everything is so disconnected. Whereas, yeah, it's much more, you can have something so much more integrated with a cine camera. Um, And the thing that's really helped on the C200 lately is I've added the bright tangerine cage to it, which is Awesome. Like having a nice cage goes a long way. Okay, but yeah. I, I gotta get to the Sony. Okay. Um, yeah. because that's that's all anybody else cares about. Uh okay. So this, I mean, first, just what is this camera? Uh I didn't pull up the spec sheet in front of me, so I'm gonna have to do it a little bit for memory. But like the 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 biggest things are actually the ones that people are kind of glossing over because they expected it, which are 4K, 10 bit, 422. Uh, which works in 24 frames per second, 30, 25, uh, 60, and 120 frames per second. That, that just that, is the biggest thing. Because these cameras, the a7S2 and the a7 III, already had S-Log2 and S-Log3. But you just, you would never use S-Log3 on the a7 III. Like, you shouldn't. Just don't touch it. Because 8-bit cannot handle that squeeze of the dynamic range. So the, the it, it's just been sitting there. The the good log has just been sitting there waiting, and now there's a 10 bit codec that means that if the, if nothing else changed about it, you could start shooting these cameras in a way that would match so much more closely to real cine cameras. So. I know it's easy to blow past that feature, which again this is on the canons as well. It's also the most important feature that was added to the canons but um this is this is super important like this is what this is what will move these cameras to be much more of a professional tool than any of the mirrorless that came before.
1: I'm excited about the twelve megapixels because that means the, <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I actually am though because yeah, yeah, yeah. I it think means the photo sites are bigger, and so it collects more light, which is why it can see, you know, in the you know, night vision basically.
0: Yeah. And for anybody that's complained, I've seen a few people complain about it. I don't know how anybody, I'm very surprised that anybody would, but keep in mind, like, this is the reason that the 4k looks really good and it's not going to overheat because it's not downsampling anything. It's, it's just one-to-one pixels. Right. And it's, I believe, okay. Tell, tell me if you know if this is true or not. I think it's 12 instead of eight because four K is eight megapixels, but it's 12 because of the top and bottom, right? Because it's a different aspect ratio than 16 by nine. That that very
1: well may be true. I don't know. I know that all I know is four K is supposed to be like eight megapixels.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet. I'll put it out there. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm willing to bet. Yeah. Eight uh twelve minus the top and bottom of a four x six image is uh becomes a eight megapixel. So anyway, I do know that it's a one-to-one pixel mapping. So there's no need to either downscale uh f- or how, yeah, downscale from an oversampled image, which is p- a big part of the reason that the Canons overheat. Um and you also don't need to uh oh line skip right that's the other way that you take away data if the megapixels are too much right. and i th- i think the biggest win for sony here is that they committed to this being a video camera in canon's case they're like we're going to make we're going to make the best hybrid and they really tried they tried very hard to make the ultimate hybrid cameras both the r6 and r5 are amazing at uh being you know a photographer's video camera so kudos to them for that. I still think Canon did a very good job, but I think they're going to get killed in the press because the overheating is a very real issue. And it means that even though this is a great stills camera, it is kind of failing in the video camera department in a, in a big way. And the Sony's not the Sony's, you know, like a little perfect.
1: (laughs) I don't know. It's, I mean, it seems like it's the first, um, you know, small mirror list that Sony's actually listened to people on. They've, I mean, they moved the little headphone jack up. So if someone is using the flippy screen, you know, it's not going to get in the way of the screen. Um, that's really cool. And a lot of people are going to say it's a vlogger feature, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But I mean, it's also convenient.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's also, it's also a professional feature to be able to turn it back and forth. Like this is something that I, I do at the C200 all the time is be able to maneuver the monitor so that, other people can see it sometimes it's the person like if you've got a director on the side they need to see it or sometimes the subject needs to just check their hair like there's a million reasons to maneuver a um, flippy screen. I will say a moment of uh, let let's just lay the other kind of flip screen to rest which is the one that comes up 90 degrees which we previously have had on the Sony's that is actually so useful and I until I switched to the R because again, I've been shooting my my portable video camera was the A7 III until recently, and I've been shooting with the EOS R. So I went from the 90 degree flip screen to the complete 360 rotating flip screen, and that actually and I you do give something up because you can't just hold the camera. I said this before. You can't just hold the camera, look down like it's a medium format and compose your shot in a pair in a direct. Perpendicular or parallel? Yeah, I don't know if it's perpendicular or perpendicular line to your subject, right? Like you look down and the subject's in front of you. Whereas when it's offset and the flip screen comes out to the side, that is a a disconnection from the reality of the scene. That I find it it is slightly harder to compose because you're offsetting your hand. There's just this feeling of parallax that there is a loss there. Um, It's not. It's maybe not worth the trade-offs. Like maybe the flip screen is enough better that, you know, that's, I guess, why we're, everybody wants to move to it. Um, I'm just trying to remind ourselves that there was something good going on with the other kind of screen. Well, same
1: with, uh, you know, what is it? Fujifilm, their X-T3 and, uh, Nikon Z6. Uh, they, they've got the little acrobatic screens that don't necessarily do the 360 flip all the way around, but you can, uh, you know, flip the screen up a little bit towards you. Um, I, I, guess this is a podcast, so you can't see my hands motioning on the camera. Uh, but I hear them, but you know what I'm saying? Like how it, it doesn't flip all the way up, but it flips kind of up towards you. Yeah. Uh, when using a gimbal, that's so much more convenient than a screen that flips all the way around and then twists. Cause you can't do yeah, it for sure without taking the camera off the gimbal or twisting it around I- first.
0: I still think this way when rigging cinema cameras that I always, I basically go for the default red configuration. So a red camera is a box and at the front, there's some screw mounts for the built-in red monitor, which is how you operate a red, like kind of all the controls for the most part, a lot of the controls are on that screen. It's a touch screen and it's directly attached to the camera. It's like part of the body almost. And then the handle is behind that. Um, it's not a perfect design, but, What I, what I love about it, and the reason I try to replicate that in my builds is that you get that same direct connection to the horizon line. Like as you rotate your camera, the horizon shifts in the exact same way. You don't have that offset thing. It's really helpful. Like it is, it's, it's better for when you're shooting, looking down. And I often am. It's worse for a lot of other things. Can't do selfies. I mean, there's downsides. Just want to, just want to have that moment. Um, okay, but let's get into, okay, why is, the, why is the A7S3 crazy and why is it stealing all the headlines from Canon's, you know, this was going to be the Canon show for, yeah. uh, you know, for the last few weeks, everybody's like, you know, RIP Sony, like Canon just destroyed you. And there's, you know, nobody's ever going to buy a Sony again. And it, the, the narrative has completely flipped just since the last episode of this podcast. Well, everything I, has flipped. Yeah, I
1: think the, the, the overheating issue has, really drilled into a lot of people. Um, even uh, there's, there's this other person, Armando. Um, I guess he's on, he's a YouTuber and Twitter. Yeah, for sure. Armando's been on here yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he, he did a, you know, he put like a huge ice block on it and he blew a leaf blower at it. <laughs> he like went way out of, proportion trying to get this thing to cool down and he, nothing he did would work. Of course, everyone on you know Twitter was like, you did it wrong. You should have used more ice. You should have drilled holes in it. You know, you should have used Bigger a completely conductive floor. piece of copper and this. And it's like, come on, you know, he did everything possible and he could not, you know, slow down or, or sp- rather speed up the cool down time or make it
0: last longer. What you should do is not have to do any of that. I mean, that's really the answer. Like TILTA has announced that they're going to have a, cooling cage for the r5 and r6 and that's just a terrible idea i mean it's a good it's a good business idea for them i'm glad i'm glad they saw that opportunity and are taking advantage of I it think it's like, hilarious you should not have to do that and i i bet it won't work i'm i'm pretty sure it's not going to have a big effect it'll probably be marginal i um, thought it was an April Fool's ex- joke yeah no totally i googled it right after i saw yeah. somebody posted on twitter i was like mm, this can't be real but I should I should expand on what I was saying last week because uh, last week I was just, uh, wait, had I even played with it? I don't know. So uh, in the last episode, I, I didn't know about the overheating. And since then, I've posted my review of the R6. So my overheating exper- experiences were that during the shoot, I actually didn't have it overheat at all. It, it never wasn't available to record. Like I could always record when I wanted to. Um it's not a problem in photography mode in like shooting stills. A lot of people have been asking about that. It I don't think it can overheat. Um it does generate heat as you're shooting stills. So if you shoot a lot of photos and then try to shoot 4K, it may be too hot to shoot very much of it, but you won't be prevented from shooting stills as long as that's all you're doing. And the same with 1080. You can just shoot 1080 all day long and um I don't think it ever is a problem. The overheating issues for me came at the end of the day when I was just sitting around my apartment, when I was editing the video, the apartment's just kind of getting hotter. Cause it's, I don't know, it's, it's gotten hotter all day and I don't have proper air conditioning. <laughs> and it, um, that's when I couldn't shoot with it. It was just like, it, 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 the ambient temperature of the camera was too high and I wasn't using it. I hadn't used it for uh, two or three hours and I looked down and it tried to turn it on. And it's like, Oh, you can only record for 10 or 15 minutes right now. So that's a huge problem. You know, if you, if you live somewhere hot, I, I I live in Canada, I don't even live somewhere hot and it's, it's going to be a real problem. So, um, and another interesting thing that Armando said, uh, I think this was in the comments of my video, he was saying that the R6 might actually have worse overheating issues in 4k, because it's always oversampling. It's always taking a 5K image and bringing it down to 4K, which is part of the reason that it looks so good. The default 4K mode on the R6 looks better than the default 4K on the R5. You have to tr- you have to turn on HQ mode on the R5 to get the, the betterness out of it, and then the R5 starts looking better, because that's when the R5 starts to oversample. Otherwise, if the... Uh, hopefully, this isn't too much jargon. No, no, Nobody's no. It. I'm... I'm, if the R5 it. is line skipping, it's, it's blurrier. And if the, and the R6 never line skips, it's always oversampling. So it's always sharper.
1: Right. And so I don't think that you have to worry about any of that stuff with Sony's new camera, the a7 S3, the legendary, the fabled, the, you know, the talked about. Um, and that's, that's going to be the the big thing is you can just use it.
0: I mean, that, like, <laughs> that's, that's the tagline. You can just use it yeah. and it
1: doesn't stop
0: working. Yeah.
1: Well, plus they've also redesigned the menus. Finally, the menus were yeah, my yeah. biggest gripe with any Sony that I've ever picked up. Um, the ergonomics were always terrible. It seems like they've addressed a lot of those issues. And so when last week and, you know, as early as, you know, yesterday I was saying, I still want the C 300 Mark three, um, I've also so I've also used uh, the Fuji GFX 100, which is it's a it's a big camera. I mean, for for what yeah. I've used is, is I'm used to like the small mirrorless stuff. That's you know a significantly larger camera than you know physically than the others, and all the lenses for it are also very big. So I would equate that to a cinema camera because just the size and the weight. Now I know they're different, and the cinema camera ergonomics are a lot better than the medium format you know, Fuji camera. But, uh, that being said, I think that using something like the C300 might be too big for me. What I do trying to do handheld B roll shots and just, you know, messing around here in my little studio, it might be too much. It might be too big. And so I've, I've been really harping on the, just by lights because, you know, you can improve your image that way, but it's also me thinking to myself, if I spend, you know, $12,000 on gear for this camera, that I don't even like using, it's going to really suck. And so now Sony's come out with a camera that'll get me almost all the way there. And I've already got all the external audio stuff, lights and things. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a camera that I might actually consider getting and using,
0: um, without, you know, memeing too hard on just, uh, you know, just by lights. (laughs) This episode of the Stallman podcast is brought to you by the new season of wireframe, a podcast all about how UX can help technology fit into our lives. Wireframe is a show for designers and the design curious, hosted by Koi Vin, Senior Director of Design at Adobe. The pandemic has changed our habits and our lives, and this season of Wireframe leans into how design interacts with these changes. So you'll listen to stories like how user experience design helps people manage stress and sleeplessness, or find something good to watch on an online streaming service, or even help individuals, creators, and social causes through crowdfunding. This is a good one too, how you can help others. Older family members understand technology. This is actually the episode I just listened to, and you will instantly relate to that feeling of trying to explain something that feels so simple to you, and... You know sometimes others just don't get it, and you don't know why and this and this episode explained it surprisingly well, like you feel so frustrated and why people can't understand, but you can actually come to some level of understanding and there's an interesting example with the design of music interfaces around classical music, which skews to a older audience, but the titles of songs are extremely long. How do you solve for that? Because Spotify is designed for modern pop music with very short titles. Little details like that I find really interesting. So if you're creating content or products or whatever things that other people are going to consume, this can help you give you a connection of understanding and empathy to their experience using your product. You'll hear from some seriously impressive designers and design leaders who have built UX and UI experiences for companies like Headspace, Patreon, Kickstarter, and Things. Whether you're into UX, UI, technology, or just curious about the way design impacts our everyday lives, I think you should check out the show. Just search for Wireframe in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're using right now, or check out the link in the show notes. So thanks again to Wireframe for their support of this show. This is so hard for me to admit that I feel like I'm in crisis mode right now because I was was comfortable with walking away from Sony. Sony's doing a great job. It's hard for me to move back and forth between systems. It's a lot of extra anxiety and, uh, you know, it, it slows you down. It costs you money. Uh, I'm going to just stick with Canon because they're doing a great job. <sighs> I don't know now. I mean, the Sony makes a lot of sense. Uh, before, I always thought of it in terms of, and, and this is actually, this isn't bad advice still, but if in somebody like your situation, it would be great to have a cinema camera for a roll that just like kind of is bigger and sits on a tripod. You can plug your mics into it. It's just like kind of ready to go. And you're not moving around too much. And then a smaller camera that you're putting on gimbals and you're putting on sliders and you're packing up with you to vlog and you're doing everything else with, that's a really good system. I mean, it's still, it still is a really good system. And that's what I'd been thinking I'd do with the R6 or R5. Um, but the, the problem is the Sony can it looks like it can outperform some of the cinema cameras. Like it will probably look better than my C200. And that's, that sucks. Like that's, that really hurts, you know? And yeah, to, let's break down why, like, I don't want to just throw okay, that the out dynamic
1: there. range. Let's talk yeah, about that. Yeah, So
0: it's got, it has a slog three and 10 bit, right? There is no 10 bit in the C200. It, it only either does eight bit or raw. The raw is 12 bit. The a seven S three can do 16-bit RAW on external recording, and it's ProRes RAW, which is like a really great codec and plays very nicely with Apple computers, which, you know, I added in Final Cut. Um, And from the testing so far, and I think the best source on this so far was Gerald's uh, video. He did like some very good tests of the dynamic range. He was saying an effective 13 stops, which is comparable to his tests of the C500 and the C300 Mark III. Yeah, so...
1: I don't see a lot of reasons to spend as much money as Canon is asking for their C three hundred on a camera that potentially offers less usability for someone in my position. Um yeah. and, and in a lot of people's positions. You know, if someone's trying to get into, you know, creating, you know, cinematic content or, you know, wants to learn more about dynamic range or just interested in filmmaking. Once you buy that C 300, you're also going to have to upgrade a lot of your other gear just to use it. Tripods, fluid heads, yeah. um, batteries, media, yeah. I mean, your computer. Well, you're saying how much you know. love,
0: you love V mount battery, V mount batteries, but just by adding the battery, Okay. So you add the battery. That means you also need to add rails. Um, and that amount of weight means you are, everything has just gotten bigger. Like, it, that stuff alone is heavier than just the camera. So your tripod, like you said, your tripod needs to be way bigger slider, even sliders that are rated for these heavier cameras. I've had more issues with them when I'm putting the C200 on it, that like, it, if the camera is near the, the top weight rating for the slider, it's way more likely to be jittery. Whereas if it's far below, it's probably always fine. Um, it's, it's a huge difference. And so you, what you were just saying, I mean, I struggle to think like, okay, if I if I have the new Sony in front of me and I'm able to shoot with either it or the C200, like they're both right here and there's a choice, it'd be really frustrating to think like, oh, I'm actually compromising a little bit on image quality by using my Cine camera.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's possible. But I think the biggest challenge, uh, all other things considered, is... I'm more likely to pick up a small camera to film something quickly than to turn on a large cinema camera. In fact, I might not even want to bring that with me anywhere because it's freaking huge. (laughs) Yeah. You can't throw that in your little bag or something, you know?
0: Well, and it used to make more sense when the cinema camera was like, you're, you're going to justify it because it's always going to look better. And now if it's like, well, you're going to get the same or not quite as good of an image quality, like, It's this, So this is why I'm saying at the beginning of this episode, like everything is really shifting now. It's And overnight, it's just with these few announcements. I mean, a little bit of that as well with the Canon R5 uh, shooting 8K, you know, it's still going to have some serious limitations. But the fact that it can do 8K and uh, based on what Sony did, I'm convinced they will add C-Log Three, which has been rumored, um, I don't know why the rumors in C Log Two. Uh, if you don't know, it's the numbers are different for Canon, so C Log Two has their most dynamic range, whereas with Sony S Log Three has the most dynamic range. But even th- the, even that, Canon's only rumoring to add their middle of the line dynamic range. So I don't know. I just drifted from making a point about why the. R five is good to have problem with it. Um, but but uh, yeah, the point was supposed to be that a portable camera can still, in some ways, outperform any of the bigger cameras, which is just confusing. It's like, wh- what are we supposed to be doing right now?
1: Buying lights?
0: Yes, that's true. Okay, well, we can't we can't get to lights yet. It's too it's still too soon. That's fine. Um, what's surprise? Oh yeah, okay. Surprise! A big surprise. A, a lot of this again c- came from Gerald's video. He had the most new news that was exclusive to that video so i think it's a great watch um that that this seems to be a dual iso sensor which i didn't even i didn't read it in any of the marketing maybe it is there and i'm I'm missing it but it it has dual native isos meaning that the noise is basically completely clean at he said I believe 640 is the base ISO, which is lower than it used to be. It's great. It's a very good number. And then the higher one, I think you were saying 16,000. Yeah, I heard
1: 16,000.
0: I watched it yeah. too, <laughs> which is, a, I mean, that's high. Like in, that's way more important to me than having the like 256,000 be, you know, you can see in the dark that that's seeing the dark stuff. I never found useful. Like I've shot on those cameras and it still looks like crap. Like, yeah, you you can see in the dark, but it's like barely usable. You really have to run it through some noise noise reduction and the colors are very muddy. Like it's not good see in the dark. You still need to buy lights, as Tommy would say. Um yeah. but having having a higher base that is really clean so that you know you can be lighting with just some home tungsten bulbs and like it looks real and it looks me rem- or candles. candles you can light yeah. by can Great example. You can light by candlelight and it will be just as clean as when you're using a big HMI or 600 led or whatever. That's, that's so useful. That is extremely powerful and changes filmmaking.
1: Yes. I I agree with that. Um, being able to get clean images of natural life in low light environments. Um, you know, previously it's, it just wasn't possible, uh, without, Something like what Sony has just announced, you know, I mean, ne- using neat video or whatever to clean up the noise is just not the same.
0: No. And it's horrible for your computer. Like, I uh, yeah, I have some noise reduction, but I try to never use it because all of a sudden your whole workflow just comes to a. Yeah, it slows way down. It makes things a lot worse. So whenever you can avoid noise reduction, you should. It's not. It's it's one of the heaviest things to do in post. Whereas whatever your compu- camera is doing, as you record, it, the, the camera's built for that. It can handle it. Um, and uh, yes, another example of this was the Panasonic's the EV1. Am I getting that model number is right? That had EV be EVA? ISOs. EVA, yes. Okay. And um, like WALL-E. And it would... The, an important point about that second ISO is that it also maintains just as much dynamic range. So not only is it lower noise, or I don't know if it's just as much, but it kicks back up. So typically as your ISO raises, your dynamic range starts to shrink, but it's still excellent. I don't know if it's exactly as good, but it's still very good when you, when you raise it up. So, so moving to Sony, um, that means I'll also have to buy lenses. Oh, yeah. That I mean, yeah. That's my, uh, that's why I'm so stressed out lately. <laughs> that's, that was I, one of the
1: main reasons I wanted to, you know, I was excited about Canon because I have the Sigma 18 to 35 and EF mount.
0: What, what's your main lens right now? Is that's that that's one? it. Yeah.
1: Sigma 18 to 35. Yeah.
0: it's what I'm shooting on right now. It's, I, I use it a lot. I, I have a lot of complaints about it actually. Like it's a very widely used range, uh, lens. It's really, it's really practical. Um, I've found it to be, softer than I hoped. And there's more chromatic aberration than I hoped. And it really lets you shoot in a lot of dynamic ways that is, is challenging with any other prime lens or zoom lens. Uh, but yeah. Okay. Buying, buying Sony lenses. So the upside is both Sony and Canon have started to make their lenses very expensive. I don't know why that's, that that's only an upside because you're, you're kind of screwed either way. <laughs> right. Um, but, and they're both Excellent. They're both very, very good. Like the the modern glass is crazy sharp. You have tons of amazing options. That um, you know, I, I thought we had good lenses before, but now we have a ton of great lenses. So, but yeah, the downside is they're all very expensive.
1: You know, the thing that I find with lenses is they hold their resale value better. So, That's you true. know, moving between systems. Um, you know, you're supposed to marry the lens or whatever, but if you're going to just go to a completely new system, you might have a lot of equity in lenses you've never used and you can offload those to move to another system.
0: Although you have a bit of an advantage cause you're not too deeply committed to one or the other. You know, you only have, it sounds like a couple of lenses that you'd be getting rid of. Whereas I've got a, a case. Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, I would lose a lot of money. Like it would be, um, you know, to, to the idea of, that's why I don't even really consider the idea of switching like a switch would be so expensive for me that like, I don't know. Cause I also don't really want to use a Sony for stills. Like I really like Canon for, for still photography, which is still an important part of my business. So. Well then adapters, they're getting so good these days. They, okay. Well, we got to see how this is doing on the a seven S three. Um, the, you can't, as of the a seven three, you can't trust autofocus with the adapters. I saw a lot of videos being like, look, it got better. Every generation was like, it's better. It's better. It's better. And it was always just miles behind native. Like I, I wouldn't, I didn't, I just didn't use it except for, uh, if you do like single shot stills, so you know, you can acquire focus, but it won't lock on. The servo mode isn't going to follow properly. It's not reliable. Um, so you can, I, you can and use, you know, I did use them for sure. I, I did shoot with my Canon lenses on it quite a bit, but it, uh, you're making some big trade-offs compared to if you use the native glass.
1: Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, there's things I like about pretty much all the cameras that I have and I use them all for different reasons. Um, the one, the one thing that I like about the Nikon Z six is SnapBridge, which is their mobile app because It'll automatically pair with my phone when I turn the camera on. I don't have to open the app or anything. I just turn it on, take a picture, and then in like ten seconds, a two megapixel render of that image is on my phone for social media. I, I
0: mean I, yeah, I haven't used the way that, that Nikon does it. Everybody's still done it mediocrely in my experience. Like I haven't had the good the good experience that I'm still waiting for. Um, new features on both the R5 and A7s3 that, uh, and I guess R6 that I haven't tested, but uh, uh, Tony Northrop was talking about is the ability to just offload over the new Wi-Fi standard that writes at something mm-hmm. like 400 megabytes per megabits per second over the network. So mm-hmm. if you're in, if you have Wi-Fi where you're shooting, you can be shooting directly to your computer at like no real speed cost, which is that's really good for studio shooting, not having to tether. That's really cool. I love that idea. Yeah. If it works, that's great.
1: Yeah. I guess I'm going to probably have to sell some stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, okay. So again, this is why it's like, it, this is great news, but it comes with a lot of anxiety. And also, I mean, like, let's also be honest, it's pandemic year too. It's like, things are weird. And so as somebody who, you know, uh, it's not like, it's not like my photography hobby is just, uh, something that I'm not a dentist just spending my free money on this. Like I need to see a return on the gear that I invest in. I need to make it worthwhile. And there's definitely less jobs this year. Like, you know, not, not that like, I'm not complaining. Like we're not in a, in a bad place, but I have a hard time seeing the return at this moment. And I think I am not alone in that. I think there's a lot of people that are not going to be buying cameras this year that might've other years, and I don't think we're going to see that conversation much on YouTube because it's not fun, right? Like, I we all just want to be excited about this. But, like, this is also, this is a time where a lot of us have to kind of, like, look at it and be like, you know, is this, do, do I need this right now? Um, when, you know. I think that, there's another, like that or, I think there's another side of
1: that conversation. I think there's another side to that. I think that. Conv- convince that, me. Talk uh, me devil's advocate, <laughs> right? So I think a lot more people um, are seeing the power of having your own uh social media property being able to create content uh, that you own uh, deliver your own message and create a business out of video uh, from home i mean a lot of i think you can learn something from everybody uh, but if you're never going to see that person you're not going to learn from them and i think a lot of people have their own message that they want to deliver to people and so they're going to video because that's the one thing you can do at home And so they're, they're going to buy cameras. They want their videos to look good because they think if it's higher quality, it's going to get more views. And so they want the best camera still. I mean, there's still a market for it.
0: Yeah, no, that, that is really true. I mean, this is the year for, especially for people that haven't considered video before to start investing in it and taking it more seriously. Uh, You're, you're completely right about that. And I think if anybody's listening to, how would you have listened this far and you're not making videos, but if that happens to be you go start making videos because it's (laughs) You know, it's just becoming part of our our normal vocabulary now. So, uh, you know, that's even part of why like I'm letting I've I tried I I try to keep the show pretty balanced between photography, filmmaking, videography, (laughs) cinematography, and um and like tech, you know, computers, phones. Yeah, but I've let video take over a little bit more lately because. I really do think it's, it's an important part of how we all communicate. Like I I don't think video is just about YouTubers anymore. I think it's for everyone in a lot of ways. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to ever think about a cinema camera, but knowing these techniques and being comfortable with making a great video is, is such a valuable skill these days. It's, it's a,
1: it's a way to connect, create that human, you know, connection with people. You want to see someone's face when you're talking to them. Of course, this is a podcast, so that's <laughs>
0: <laughs> great example. There's so many businesses right now that we're seeing are having to make some kind of online transition in one way or another um, and struggling with it. Even when I look at some of the restaurants that went to delivery or pickup only and there, oh, man, I went to Pete's place the other day that everybody, everybody's like, this is the, this is the best new place. It just opened. It's like, you know, it's it's spectacular. You got to go. So I pulled up the website. All the website says is, "Here's our phone number. Call us to order." Uh, there's no dining right now. Like pickup only. Like what? Like I can't see a menu. I can't order online. I can't. You know, in this moment where I can't walk into your location, I can't go inside your establishment. You really got to try harder with the website end of things. Like no this pictures is, of food this is when it matters. No, there's not, it was a, just a single pager. Um, you know, hopefully it's in development and maybe by now it's changed, but wow. it's just like, you know, I don't know. And, and, uh, I've run into a few other little examples of trying to order things and the service isn't great or like the, I, we, all of this stuff, we all need to get amazing at it really quickly and not the people like we already, we know why it's important. I probably every listening does too. Like I don't have to sell you guys on this but your friends and family i'm sure some of them are running small businesses and like they've got to get some control themselves of this video stuff and that doesn't just mean finding a filmmaker to hire to make a commercial for you like you got to get comfortable with this because like if you're not able to run your own instagram account and you know post the photos of the latest menu items or be able to set up a Stripe account for taking payments online instead of only over the phone or whatever it is. There's a million things that like, you got to figure this out right now because this is where things are going.
1: That's business today. You know, yeah. maybe it's not business tomorrow, but when business tomorrow changes, you'll still have to adapt. You know, let yeah, sure. say if uh, being successful was easy, everyone would do it. Well, you have to do the things that Maybe aren't comfortable. You have to not be afraid to learn things sometimes.
0: Um,
1: so I, I'm in
0: complete agreement. Just a side note what What do you program in? Like, what are you? What are you writing? Uh, so I am a PHP
1: developer. Uh, I also do a lot of front end stuff. You know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Um, I am mainly a systems architect. So I build databases primarily in MySQL, and uh, just kind of create. Systems for applications, cool. <laughs> APIs, and thing. things like that. I, that was like I, I'm st- trying to make sure that that I, I don't took get in- <clears throat> too technical for anyone. That's I, I doubt <laughs> that anyone's. A, you know, there maybe is a couple people that write code listening.
0: No, no, it's good. I mean, so I took like that's the stuff that I took in school, and I was I was always worse at the PHP, MySQL, end. So I ended up going more into the like. So, it was a little different the way you would do design back then. I mean, now it's shifted quite a bit so that if you're designing, you better be writing a lot more code. But at the time, we would design more in Photoshop. And if you only knew like Photoshop, CSS, and HTML, you could actually have a career. Uh, you know, I realize these days it's a, it's a little different. Yeah, I think, I think AI does that part for you yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, when I, whenever I need to work in something like even just Bootstrap right now, that compared to the old days is like, wow, it is so easy to build a website. Like the things that you would spend so long on in the past, trying to micromanage every pixel and just make layouts flow over a page. And, uh, and I mean, it, it goes through the whole stack too. you know, people that like the, the my backend team would say the same things about managing servers and stuff. It's like it, uh, yeah, it's gotten a lot better. Same as cameras. Technology has let us have a lot more interesting new opportunities. Um, so
1: I completely agree. Yeah, technology's is um, growing and getting better quickly. Uh, PHP. I think
0: the, I think there's a future in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about PHP for just one more second. So I, I read a lot of PHP and PHP 7 came out a few years ago. And it's like a 99% speed improvement over the previous version of PHP because they completely rewrote that. it from a uh like a template language to an you know a scripting language to an actual programming language. They rewrote everything and it's just incredible. I was w- uh with a company at the time, we
0: were able to go from like 95 web servers to 2. That's crazy. So I mean, my understanding of PHP's reputation is that it's always a little bit like you know, it it's it's aging and slow and it had its place, but we've moved past it. Is the is PHP seven like the, the, the moment where it's like, no, never mind, PHP is oh, it's here to stay because now it's great. <laughs> well, cool. I <laughs> yeah. didn't realize that. PHP seven that. is the A7S3
1: of PHP. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the fact that I vaguely barely understand how to read it uh may not be as useless as I thought.
1: Yeah. Uh I mean that's that's you know, that's interesting. That's
0: my that's my full time
1: thing. You know, I do that fifty hours a week uh as a content yeah. creator person. The only real time I have is evenings and weekends, and that's also divided between my wife and my son and my two dogs. And it's
0: just you know, where do you find the time? Yeah, I I admire you. That's great work ethic, and yeah, I I I, it should be inspiring for anybody out there too. I mean, I think a lot of people feel like it's just not possible to do it because it can it is crazy time consuming for sure. Um, So finding that extra space in the week is hard to do.
1: You will find, you always find the time for the things you're passionate about.
0: Well, speaking of passion, I think we can finally open the conversation up to lights for a minute.
1: <laughs> Lighting. <laughs> you've got,
0: you've especially got one of the most exciting lights, like period right now. And you, you what, this a video thing? on thing
1: recently uh, for anyone watching. Uh,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. The after <aperture>, the <laughs> so, <aperture> Nova. <laughs> yeah. So tell us what, why is the Nova so exciting? Well, the Nova is a direct competitor
1: aimed square at the area sky panel, which is, you know, a 4,000 plus dollar light. And the, the Nova comes in at, you know, $1,700 and it's the Nova is
0: 70% brighter than the sky panel. Let's make sure we clarify too. Like sky panels are on every set, like not, not necessarily literally every, but most like they are extremely widely used at, at a high level. They are ubiquitous in, in things that you shot. they are all over the place. People love sky panels. So having a a realistic replacement for one at a more attainable price point is kind of crazy. Like it's one of those democratizing moments. It's,
1: um, it, it really is because you think about, you know, someone who's trying to start a rental house or, you know, a business of some kind, because, you know, businesses will come back, um, and they need to buy 10 sky panels for the same price. They can get, you know, 30 novas, that's a significant yeah, that's difference. Crazy. And each one of those novas will have 70% more output than the sky panels just based on output, right? Yeah. And then on top of that, the nova is RGBWW, so red, green, blue, white and another white. And that the sky panel is only RGBW. So if you try and show uh, you know, the having only one white chip in the sky panel means that at one end of the Kelvin range, the CCT range, you're going to have really poor color quality because it's going to be using the RGB, you know, the RG and the B chips to fill in, to make tungsten instead of daylight or vice versa. I don't remember which is which, uh, for the sky panel itself, but on the Nova, you're going to have very high color quality all the way through from 2000 to 10,000 Kelvin.
0: I I found it really hard to understand, but the most helpful explanation I saw was when aperture Teamed up. It might have, was this on the Indie Mogul channel. Actually, that Ted from Aperture teamed up with the guys from Quasar Science to talk about RG, or Wait, how do you say it? Is it are the W's first or at the end? Anyway, the, uh, so, the, yeah. So the, there's
1: there's more than just that. So there's RGBW. There's RGBAW, which is the same as WW because it means white white or amber white,
0: TW tungsten white. It's just or you know or D which well, is daylight. Tr- there's so many letters. I'll try to remember to put the link to this video in the show notes, though, because seeing the demonstration of what those differences are make you realize, like, oh, that's why this matters. And it's also a good demonstration of the differences between gels and a using a daylight light, and um, sorry, yeah, using a daylight light and adding gels, and then using an RGB light. Was that the live event? No, no, there's a proper like edited video. And like the crazy examples is when you have like a bunch of fruit lined up in it and the the, it's, it's not one of those like subtle differences. Like, ah, maybe some people notice some people don't. If you have certain, uh, especially your reds and oranges, you can stop telling the difference between them into your eye. It's a world that like compl- you. it's clear. It's the difference between like an orange banana pepper and a red apple. And then you light it the wrong way. And all of a sudden, like they just disappear into each other and they become the same color.
1: That, it's an incredible difference. What a little, little chips in the technology that they're putting in these lights. But, um, back to what we were saying with the differences between the sky panel and the Nova and why the Nova is so exciting. One is brighter Two, it has better and more color. Uh, three, it has preset buttons, which are awesome, which was my favorite feature of uh, the light panels Gemini, uh, which is a time saver if you're trying to you know use lights to set up a few different shots. You can go ahead beforehand, set those presets in, just dial them in with this little button. I I want I want to show you, but it's podcast, so so <laughs> well, I well so people refraining. watch your
0: video that that link will be in the description for sure. Yeah, it's, this is
1: I'm new to this format but, um, there, there's a whole slew of reasons and l- just going off of the few that we've talked about already, uh, it's, it's just a better investment. There's no re the only reason you would still need to buy a sky panel
0: is availability, which hopefully will change or, or even the feeling. Yeah. I mean the sort of, you know, the trust of the system like that. And I've I've talked to aperture about this too that like an obstacle for them for a while has been you know just getting on the trucks like becoming part of the kit because they need to trust your brand and know this ballast is not going to flake out on me like these cables that come built in with it are good enough and strong enough and you know match up with everything else that we use like Everything needs to work together so that nobody on set is questioning that piece of kit and it's, it's not going to become the weak point that fails. And I can tell that aperture is working really hard with everything they've done with other lights as well. I mean, the 300 D mark II was an amazing example of making that jump to like, look, this isn't just for YouTubers like this. We looked at what Hollywood needs and like, we're, we're, we want to be a part of it and we want to justify our place on that lighting truck. And uh, yeah, th- I mean, this is just the, the most incredible example of it. And it'd be really cool if we start seeing aperture mentioned alongside, you know, the, the Aries and the um, wait, what are the other ones I'm thinking of? The uh, um, light mats. I mean, Oh yeah. So there's there's so actually, many brands. Yeah. There's, but like, so that's the next place. If I could have one request for where aperture goes next, it'd be like taking on that light mat segment where there's, there's tons of cheaper ones. Uh, I had a soon well for a little while, that totally flaked out. So I just, mm-hmm. I, I think it's in the garbage. Like I literally <laughs> couldn't fix it. I <laughs> opened it away. up and tried to like, to resolder it. And I was like, this is actually broken. So there's tons of those like mats out there, but right now there only seems to be light mat as a brand that is like the, the, the really good one. Maybe you can tell me I'm wrong. Hopefully there's uh, something more affordable. It's amazing out there, but you know, that's what s- the cinema world uses um, and i love something that I can trust, which again, this is exactly, this is like what I was just talking about in motion. I'm saying like, okay, I know there's other cheaper brands out there, but I don't know if I can trust them. So I just want aperture to do it. Cause I know I can trust them. Yeah. This is the conversation that happens all over the place. Like, you don't want to rediscover brands every month. Like you want to pick one and, and go with it
1: for years. And there's, there's a couple of brands I've used with light mats. Um, not light mat the brand, but. Uh, there's Falcon Eyes, and then there's IntelliTech. IntelliTech is, um, I think, probably a little bit more reliable than Falcon Eyes, um, simply because you can get a hold of someone in the United States. <laughs> that helps. Uh, but yeah, there's there's lots of brands of light mat type, you know, canvas style lights.
0: I haven't had any. Well, issues. And even even to clarify, the the other brand, like the Light Mat brand, is Light Gear, mm-hmm. is the brand name and light. Matt is one of their products.
1: Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that if aperture came out with one and it worked with their little 2.4 gigahertz remote thing, that it would be awesome. Yeah. You're in <laughs> love with
0: that remote where I actually never take mine out of the bag. I forget that they exist, <laughs> which like, I don't know why I don't have a problem with them. I just don't, I, don't I, I didn't like incorporate them in my workflow. Maybe I should.
1: It's super. Well, I mean, so everything that I do, if I implement a piece of gear into my videos or my workflow, it's to save time because I've got so little of it to actually create stuff. So if this is, if turning all my studio stuff on is just like, click, 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 then
0: that's what I need to do. Something. What are the most important things for people to consider when they are buying lights? Like what should they be looking at? What do people buy that they may not actually need? Like how do people go wrong? Where should they start? So many questions. So, okay. (laughs) Let's say you don't own a light. What's, what's the first light you should buy?
1: The first light that you should buy is a good key light, something to light your, especially if you're doing like talking head videos, like most YouTubers would do, or someone who wants to deliver a message or film uh, some type of interview or something like that, something that can light your subject in a pleasing way. So probably something that you can diffuse like a soft light. So I would say if you're, if you need one light and you've only got, you know, 150 bucks, Godox sells that light because it's the cheapest one. It's one color temperature. It's it pretty bright. has really good color quality. Then you drop a, you know, some type of diffusion on it. That's, that's the I, first step.
0: I've always thought about just grabbing like a dozen of those because they're so cheap. Well, maybe not a dozen, but you know, a few of those because they're, they're relatively cheap and just have them around. Are there any downsides to those Godox? Because they are uh, so yes. cheap. So the
1: SL60, which is like the really popular one, uh, or has been for a long time. I don't know if it's still the most popular one. Uh, it's The fan is kind of noisy, at least to my ears. So I actually ripped it out and soldered it and replaced it with, you know, a really quiet fan from Noctua. Uh, made a video on that. But then that introduced flicker at above 240 plus you know frames per second, but only on certain units because the quality assurance is not great, you know. <laughs> Right. So there's the problem. It's a
0: little bit noisy. Okay. So let's say you've already got your first cheap light. What are the things to look for in like just quality? What really matters? Um, you know, there's a bunch of different ways of measuring it, which people would be looking for.
1: Build quality and feature set are really important, especially once you use the light for any period of time and you want to move it around a few times and, you know, put it on a light stand, take it off. It needs to be a durable tool. Uh, because if it falls apart, then you wasted your money, just like anything you would want to buy. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, understand that. and then there's features like, can it be battery powered? Because otherwise you're going to be attached to a power outlet all the time. And then, uh, obviously the light quality is super important, which is there's, so there's a few different metrics. There's CRI, which is the old metric, which everybody talks about, but nobody uses, And there's TLCI, which is the more modern metric um, that is better than CRI, but it's still already outdated. And then there's like TM30 and a couple others. But the big and the most important one to look at now is SSI, which is the spectral similarity index, which is how close is this light to a known light source? And that's the one okay. that uh, you know Curtis Judd uses. So,
0: <laughs> and what what is a good rating for that? What should we hope that uh, the light we buy is um, above eighty is
1: fantastic. Eighty five is like spectacular, and that's what the Nova has. <laughs>
0: uh, well, I want one. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's in terms of the quality of light, which right. is going to affect things like. Color reproduction again, like I said earlier, you can see these differences. They're not just make believe. Um, right. What about what about output, especially in terms of like what what numbers can we start using on a regular basis to really measure output? I feel like still today, a lot of us still talk in terms of what is it like compared to a one k or a two k or a ten k. Like we still look at these old tungsten lights and we're like, well, I know how bright that is in my mind. So let's just translate it to that. Yeah. Obviously some of these, you know, there are, there are metrics that can quantize this, quantify this um, output, but they're mixed and there are a lot of them and they don't seem to be used in the same way by every brand. When can we (laughs) find one number that we try to judge all of our lights against just to know how bright it is. This is like, this is such a basic thing. Yeah. What number should we be looking for?
1: So, I mean, There's not one number to look for. There's I I use Lux. Mm, Thanks. Yeah. I use Lux because that's just what I've been measuring all these lights in this whole time. And that just seems like the thing that I should use. There's also like lumens and then there's foot candles. Uh, Those seem to be the big three that people kind of look at. There's probably more.
0: But so what would be a reason to Which one is likely to win out? Like, I don't think we'll live in a world where like every time you discuss a light, you mention six. Six or seven different properties about it that are all generally measuring, you know, just output, like output, and color quality. Uh, like w- w- when w- you say like SSI is likely to be the final measurement that we end up using for color indexing. Wh- which one should? Do you have a favorite like lux. for output? Or okay. I, I like lux. And what does it tell us? Like what? What is a specific lux number? say, like, I think you were saying that was the Nova 9,000. Am I remembering that correctly? Um, yeah, so,
1: so the Nova has a Lux output Well, they market only a Lux output of, you know, 9,000 Lux at one meter away. And that's, that's how I have been measuring things. One meter away, you measure the Lux output. I like that one because it's a big number and it's, you can, you can get really fine with it. Um, you know, foot candles is how much light. Is you know one one candle from a foot away is a foot candle, right? One little candle light, that's a mm-hmm. foot candle. Now, I think that that's hard because I can understand that <laughs> it's, it's only one one foot candle. How many lux is that? I don't right. even I don't even know. I haven't measured that. Right. <laughs> but I, I've well, just been so I don't know. This
0: is part of the challenge too. Is it's like you know? Okay, so this is how bright it is for one meter away. I don't know how so- if the beam is focused in different spreads, then that's going to matter in different ways for the output of your room. So like, correct. Let's say I'm just trying to fill a space. So often to like the ambient light in my room right now is being raised by just bouncing a 300 D into the wall. And it's sort of like, you know, it's kind of bouncing around, filling up the room a little bit, a little bit. That output is, is so diffused that like, if you only measure that in the center, you'll get, You'll get one reading, but then if you take the new Nova 300, it's output, it, it has either similar or maybe a little bit more output, but it's spread, right? So like right. it's not as focused. So will yeah, so the that fill the room in the same way? I
1: get what you're saying. So what I've been calling that is the quantity of output, which is I, I don't know really what the measurement is to determine that other than like reading a spectral graph of some kind. Or measuring it a whole bunch of different ways and then graphing it, but the way fun. the way I liken it is, you could measure the lux output of a laser pointer, and it would probably be you know in the millions, right? But you try and diffuse that laser pointer, <laughs> and you're not going to be able to light yep. yourself.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, but that, that's such a good example, and and part of why it's hard for us to understand as, as lead people,
1: right? And so that's that's something that. A soft panel, like the Sky Panel, is uh, you know well known for is it's a soft, diffused light with a very wide beam angle that has a very significant output, and the Nova, you know, is almost double that. And right. it's so it's already soft. There's no there's no spotlight. There's no Fresnel. There's no focusing. It's just diffused wash, complete ambient, you know, a, a 120 degree beam coming from something like nova
0: okay here's me i'm going to be stupid for a minute and here i've never understood correctly about fresnels that they are effectively it's like in a way it's sticking a magnifying glass on the front of your lens a little bit right it's it or sorry on the front of your light it's a lens to to focus the light and the output increases as you do that when when you measure it like you know aperture will to tell us a rating and I got to ask them about this. I'm hoping to get them on the show. So maybe they can give me the, the clear, easy to understand answers. Your output is increased by putting a Fresnel on the end of your uh, light, but is it actually increased or is it just focused? Like, is there more total output? Again, if I go to the example of like, if I just bounce it into a wall and then I bounce a default uh, reflector uh, side by side, are they going to have a total different output in the room or they, they should, I would think they'd be the same.
1: Yeah. So the output of the light doesn't change, right? Once, yeah. once that chip is turned on, you know, it's on, that's it. It's not, Yes. it's not going to get brighter. It's not going to get less bright. You, you're correct in that you're, it's, it's essentially a type of magnifying glass. It, it, you know, it directs the light in one direction. It, it makes all the photons, instead of going around the room, they're going forward um, so yeah, that's essentially what a Fresnel is doing, is it's pushing the light forward. But a good Fresnel is it's supposed to have a soft fall off. So it's like kind of bright in the center and then like it kind of fades off really pretty into the sides. There's another style of modifier called a, a spotlight or a, you know, an ellipsoidal spotlight lens thing, which is you know, it's like the Legos and the source fours, or I guess is what they call them. Uh I have the aperture spotlight, and that's a bones mount tool and you can stick it on a light that is a bones mount, you know, light. And that has much more of a magnifying glass and it's focusable. And so that is a much more directional light that you can carve out shapes on. That's what you would use to, you know, uh, they have these things called gobos, which is like a little lasered out design. You could put your company's logo on it or something. You stick that in front of it and then you will focus it to the back of your wall. And that is the purpose of a spotlight, and that's going to be a lot brighter, I think, uh, than a Fresnel because it's uh, much more focused. Yeah, yeah. That's I guess that I hope that answers your question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, I think it does. I, I think there's a wider gap. Fresnel is one of the tools that there's like a wider gap between people like knowing how to use it and thinking they might want one because. Um, you know, it's like, how how do I make this useful compared to a softbox softbox? It's like, oh, sure. Yeah. Just stick it on. And now my light looks the way that I wanted it to, because that's how YouTubers are doing it. Um, whereas for now, like, so examples that, that I have been making, I don't have, I don't have any lenses for any of my lights, Mm -hmm. but the reasons I would want them and that I've thought about it is like, there's things you can do where, for example, if you want to cross your light over greater distance by focusing it more, now you're not spreading it out into the room. And if you don't have enough space to let's say like bounce it into a, some kind of a reflector, you could have the room, uh, sorry, you could have the light slightly across the room, focused onto whatever white reflective source you have, and then it's bouncing back without needing to put it right up against it. What with which can, which can be very challenging depending on the amount of space that you have available. Yep. Uh, that's, so that's just like one example of where being able to focus the light is helpful.
1: Yes, that's a great, uh, great use case for the spotlight because it's a uh, super directional, and you can carve out little, like a little square, like to go through a doorway. And then just mm. stick some diffusion and then your key lights right there. But all it is, is the diffusion.
0: A great example that uh, my friend Barry's been putting to amazing, amazing uses, uh, mirrors. So he will have his a key soft light and then a series of, they're not actually mirrors. They are a product and I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but they're just like metal reflective services of various grades of softness. And he'll mount a few of them around the room to basically create those little spots of sunshine splash that you would get with real sun. And it makes artificial sunlight look so much more realistic than when you just have a big soft source. Like it's night and day when you see the before and after of just, you know, just put up a big soft. And you think it looks like a window light, but once you see either little slashes of light or little pools of light, like that's what sunlight looks like because it's bouncing off of a lot of different things before it gets into the room. Um, so I don't know. It's just like, it's a really interesting technique that I haven't started applying yet, but I'm Mm -hmm. going to investigate
1: one. One thing I've used the spotlight for was uh, I was doing a little short film for one of the uh, aperture contests with some friends and, uh, we used the aperture spotlight in, as, a, as a key light, but using the ceiling as the key light. So we had the aperture spotlight, you know, kind of down out of frame or whatever, because we, had, we needed the whole scene to not have equipment in it. And there was a little spot behind a little teeny cove in a wall up on the ceiling, and I just bounced it off of that. And that was our key light. It was just the reflection of the light off of the ceiling.
0: It yeah, worked really that, well. I do that kind of thing all the time. It's super helpful. Oh, man, I could talk about lights forever, but uh, yeah. I guess we don't have forever. So people are going to have to go to your channel to check it out because you, uh, you're you the light guy. And I appreciate your very in-depth analysis of all the lights that I desperately want to buy. So oh, thanks. Thanks for coming out, Tommy. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me. me.